Hi, I'm Mary Whipple, and you're listening to Steady State Podcast. Get ready. We are about to embark on season five. That's like, amazing. Unbelievable. If we, and That's, I think we, we say this at the beginning of each season, like, holy cow, it's still, it's working. Yeah. And it's working in different ways. I'm so grateful to people who listen, but not only people who listen, but people who reach out to us when we go to regattas and they say, oh, you're with Steady State Podcast. And we love that episode or this episode. So we love it when we hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for telling us that you listen and thank you for sharing the podcast with your teams and friends. It's just such a blast. I can't believe it. Five, five seasons. Five seasons. And each year, you know, we've grown. I think as rowers and coaches and as podcasters, when we first started doing this, I think we had a couple of things that we really liked talking about together, you know, in terms of rowing. And then we just kept pushing the envelope. And I'm really looking forward to continuing to do that in season five. Yeah. And some of the fun things that we're continuing to do that have been successful that we'll do more of in 2024 is a community of steady state kind of events and and happenings. So like book clubs, doing our regattas together and bringing the allies to oars boats back together, trying out new things, meetups, getting our faces out in there with our gear on and people see us and creating more of our community engagement. So I'm excited about that. You know, and when we first started the podcast, we were solidly in master's flat water rowing territory, right? Like that's exactly. kind of, that was our jam like that's what we talked about but what's come over the years is a real appreciation for the huge community that rowing is and you know we used to ask is indoor rowing rowing and now we're like yeah indoor rowing is rowing along Absolutely. with coastal rowing ocean rowing and those are all things that we've talked about in the past on the podcast and will be featuring again in 2024 and also just the pop culture around rowing, you know, the books that are being done, the films that are being done, the people who are really diversifying the sport and making it anything but flat water rowing. You yeah. know, like it's like that's really where we started and we locked in on that. But that's where we started personally as rowers. And now we're going to take on some new challenges and meet some new awesome people. And hopefully our audience will love meeting them, too. So real quick, we just want to let you guys know just some of the things that are on our list uh, coming up in season five. We're looking to be talking about safe sport and general guidance for youth athletes. We're going to be talking heart health and heart attacks and emergency preparedness. We're really excited to be talking to author Bonnie Garmis, author of Lessons in Chemistry. And man, coastal rowing coming up big time. We're going to be chatting about that this season as well. We're also going to be talking to Zlack, the longest running women's rowing clubs uh, in the country as a lead up to this year's San Diego Creek Classic in April. If you've got somebody you want us to meet and you want us to talk to or a topic you want us to deep dive into, just reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. So we'd love to keep that going. And now we hope you enjoy season five, episode one. Here at Steady State Podcast, we're really interested in backstories real-life experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. From indoor rowing to flatwater masters to coastal and ocean adventurers, we celebrate you who represent the global humanity of our sport. 
Together, we disrupt and expand the narrative about rowing culture. We're your hosts, Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're coming back for another episode, thanks for being here. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Concept2 and EB5 Investors. After providing some basic instruction, coaches often leave coxswains to figure things out on their own. Three-time Olympic coxswain Mary Whipple recognized this as a gap in the coaching playbook and founded The Ninth Seat, offering camps, resources, and community for coxswains. We'll talk with Mary about lucky breaks, logistics, and why being a motivator isn't at the top of her coxing list. You want to not train your coxswain to be a motivator. You're training your, your rowers to respond to the information that will enable them to go harder, not to tell them to go harder. Oh my God. Look Who's at you. Here? Hi. Hi, Mary Whipple. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. My name is Mary Whipple. I learned to cox in 1994 at Capital Crew in Sacramento. I've also coxed for the University of Washington and also the U.S. Women's National Team. I've coached for a few teams, a volunteer coach for UW, and then also coached the Masters Women's Group from Montlake Crew in Seattle. Today, I am owner, founder, creative director, all the above for Ninth Seat, which is a coxswain coaching company. And when I'm not rowing or doing anything rowing related, I am a mom of two. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. Mary, thanks so much for being with us today here on Steady State Podcast. I'm really excited to talk with you. To get things started, we always want to know on a scale of one to 10, how has your rowing week been? My rowing week, honestly, it's probably been like a three because I am in rowing, writing hell. I've been writing about rowing all week with this looming deadline. For a coxswain who likes to talk, it's really hard to sit down and type what you're thinking. So it's been very discipline, a different discipline that I've had to stretch into. Can you tell us what you're working on? Oh, yeah, I can. It's not secret. What I'm specifically doing is trying to finish the U.S. rowing online course for coaches with the, the premise of how to coach coxswains. Mm. So I already finished. I already finished the athlete version. It's launched. It's live. That took forever and a day to do. But then this I thought was the coaching track. I thought was going to be easier because my idea is to have them complement each other. So my huge idea was like, okay, the coach takes the coaching track, Coxon takes the coxing track. And then now they have this common language, this foundation to grow and to mm -hmm. talk and change whatever information I'm suggesting. How does it fit to their boat club, their waterway? Like that, that's the hard part, you know, like you're trying to, trying to speak in an authoritative tone, but there's so many variables. Mm -hmm. So I'm like paralyzed with, well, this, what you should do. But there's so many different scenarios. So they're best practices. There's definitely suggestions. And my hope is when I share that that knowledge of how to mentor coxswains, that's how, whenever I think like cox, coaching coxswains, I'm like, well, it is just, it is a, it's a long-term relationship. <laughs> it is a long-term mm -hmm. relationship and it's more of a mentorship. But how can I sneak in some ideas about how to change your your verbiage, how do you speak to your coxswain, how do you include them, how do you give them special time off the water to communicate your plan, how do you as a coach 
think how can you build a consistently structured practice so your coxswain knows what to expect and help mm. you implement time management saving tricks. So um, I just love it because it's four modules. The first one is all about boat logistics okay. because I think nobody spends, there's not enough time in the world, but boat logistics. I mean, you got to teach that coxswain how to physically move their boat and their shell. Um, mm -hmm. and, and especially with a teammate and like just the tempo of practice, if you can just get that down Holy moly, the authority, the, the confidence, the trust, like that, all that, that intangibles that you're trying to teach that coxswain, you know, it's all about maneuvering your boat. And then the second module is just about technique from the coxswain perspective. Okay, like we expect the coxswain to, you know, see the technique from the coach's angle. And then how are they going to then get into the coxswain seat and see a different way, hear a different way, feel a different way. So then I kind of let the co uh, coach know what the coxswain sees how they should fix things, what they should feel. Um, and then the third and fourth module is racing. Fourth module is motivation. It's my least favorite thing because. Oh, really? Really? We thought this was going to we be were, like your... We were totally like, oh, she's she's got a mindset thing. Well, you know what the mindset is? The mindset is the whole season. Mm. So do you have your acts together and how do you practice? Do you practice to race? What's the quality of purpose, the intention? Like, why are you at practice? Well, to maneuver your boat, to be efficient, to learn the craft, to be the student of sport. Then, okay, how, are you, how do you elevate? You get to be the student of sport by really knowing about technique. And then how do you race? I don't know. How do you want to race? Why do you want to race? All mm. those three modules, bing, motivation. Yeah. So if you're relying on the Hail Mary of you can do it, it's for we are us, you know, like all I was that like Penn State. What? All that, you know, all that kind of cheesiness of what people think a raw raw coxswain should be. Mm. That's the icing, but the foundation, especially from the coaching track. Oh, hell no! You want to. Not train your coxswain to be a motivator. You're training your your rowers to respond to the information mm. that will enable them to go harder, not to tell them to go harder. So yeah, okay. okay. So I, 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 the first motivation, thing I think, yeah, that's okay. like that's like mosh pit two fifty go. But does everybody know how they're going to take it up? When they're going to take it up? Does it feel good? Are you at your optimum rhythm? Are you in that mindset of, are you having a moment within each other? And is the coxswain bringing everybody in having that moment? That's the goosebumps. That's the motivation. Yeah. So yeah. I don't have a favorite say, I don't have a favorite motivational phrase. I don't have like, you say this, this gets you three seats. You know, we'll get you three, three seats. Information. How many meters to the line? What place are you? What's at stake? And mm -hmm. how, what, what can we do to unite our eight individual or four individual power impulses? And how can we be efficient and get there? And if people buy in and the coxswain responds, another goosebump moment. So that's the motivation, yeah. but it takes all those three other modules to get there. So yeah. motivation at the bottom. I can totally see that. I mean, if you don't have faith in your coxswain and you don't feel like you're standing on solid ground with them and they don't understand you and you don't understand them and they, you know, it's just, it's such a different relationship. I just know what it's like to have a coxswain that I connect with 
and that I want to not want to please, but I want to like, you want to perform well. I want to perform well and I yeah. want it to work, you know? And so because that... you feel validated and that's what, that's mm-hmm. what the, of course, like there's that, that circular moment of like, I'm all in right now in terms of creating this course. So in the second module about technique, there's that like protocol of like what's going wrong. So internally Cox in what's going wrong, identify the problem. All right. So now how are you going to fix the problem? So then verbally, why don't you lead with the fix? And then if the co- if the rower fixes, because you wait, you validate that change either by like the boat literally feels the, like better or you have GPS and you're like, wow, that was like two splits. You communicate that validation or that change. Now there's ownership of the rower and there's like value in that coxswain and that, that relationship, that nonverbal relationship, or there's one-sided verbal, but like your, your commitment to change and going there, that protocol, that is a special relationship to have. And exactly what you're saying of like, you want to please certain coxswains because they're giving you the information of how to be just a little bit better for yourself. But more importantly, how is that going to make the boat faster? And that's what we want, right? We want to be contributors. We want to be contributors. We don't want to be, you know, the anchor. We want to help the person in front of you back them up. My love language. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Mary, you you started coxing in high school. I don't know if the word is is lucky or what, but you got yourself into programs right off the bat that were really solid. And you had a very, very successful career and worked with athletes who wanted to listen, right? Who wanted to listen and take um, your information and run with it. Tara and I, uh, really, our our rowing lives are in the master's world where we're dealing with athletes who maybe are coming from 16 different places when they arrive at practice in the morning, right, in terms of their philosophy and, and motivation for the season. And I've heard on so many occasions rowers say, I didn't even hear what my coxswain said. You know, true. You I mean, that you're like, well, but I'm trying to give you some information that you need. <laughs> a, a full grown adults are, are terrible at, at data absorption. Sometimes, you know, they're just they're well, coming up. They're having heart surgery tomorrow, for God's sakes. You know, well, <laughs> and also think about it. Like at my summer camp that I give specifically for coxswains, I make the coxswains row because when I was in high school, the very first introduction to rowing was a barge. And they put everybody into the barge seats. And so I thought, this is amazing. Like, I want to be a rower. And then they did the height line. And then they wanted to make sure, you know, Port Starboard's equal height of Port Starboard's. And then all of the last eight of us, they're like, your coxswains. And I thought I was getting demoted. But having the opportunity to row, our first introductory, my sister and I were twins. But my our first introductory to rowing was a learn to row class for two weeks and in a single. So I had just the the littlest, you know, inkling of what and how it should feel. And sometimes if, you know, I wasn't boated on novice year, I was like, oh, can I row? Can I row? Can I row? Because I wanted to know the feeling and I wanted to know the chaos. And it is chaos. I mean, you're trying to match somebody in front, like more more than one person in front of you if you're, you know, behind. Uh, but there's so much going on. And so I think when I make my coxswains at my camp row, they're like, what? It, it, it gives them empathy of, okay, yes, you have information and you're going to give them, but when are you going to give them that information that you know the rower is ready to receive and mm-hmm. to change? Mm-hmm. And so I think with that protocol too of, you know, like, okay, offer that solution. 
wait for the change, you know, like wait for them to hear it, try it out before you're saying, you know, that typical coach that says, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes, you know, you get to that frustration point. But yeah, you, there's a lot going on in everybody's heads. So it gives the cocks an empathy of like, okay, they don't hate me. They're not not listening to me. They just have a lot going on. So how can I make this message simple? Mm -hmm. And how can I give everybody time to make that change? Mm -hmm. It's really coxswains who, who excel. It's just really doing the simple things at a high level. And I, I don't think that that's specific to juniors, elite, masters, or anything. Like everyone deserves that kind of concentration and everyone deserves that kind of driver and everyone deserves that kind of focus. And I know in my experience being a master's coach, we had one of those systems where people rotated in, you know, and so it may have been six weeks since they cocked. So it was like, okay, keep it real simple. And Rachel and I talked about this earlier. I used to teach this system called level one, level two, and level three coxing. Level one is shut up and steer. I cox everything. I cox the picture. I cox, I do the counting. I do the whole thing. You just make sure the boat goes where we want it to go. And, you know, things like that. Check it down way enough, that kind of thing. Level two was call drills and steer. And level three was have an opinion and have a contribution to make and have a coach Cox kind of a mentality. And, and that the people who are masters really felt a lot of relief having those options. They're like, Oh, you know, I'm a level one today. I'd be like, great, fine. I'll call all the drills. That's fine. That's fine. Oh, we won't do as many drills. So you're not hearing my voice for, you know, two hours or something like that. The coxswain wants to feel safe and feel like it's a safe place to fail. Mm, and I think, mm -hmm. I think coaches, I don't want to say they're passive aggressive, but a lot of coaches are just waiting for them to fail and then being mad that they didn't like guess the right answer when you're mm. like, there are so many answers. Can you just give them options? And if you give them options mm -hmm. of what to do and if you're there and here's the thing about coaching toxins, you can't not be a part of the process on the water. Like you were with them. And you were helping your whatever level you identified them as, you were helping them through decision making process. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're teaching your coxswain. What is the decision making process that makes sense for your waterway, for your, you know, coaching style and your your culture of your boat club? Yeah, I've seen so, actually a few times that where a coach will get on the water and they never speak to the coxswain again, except to say, okay, we're going to go meet meet down at this point and we're going to do this drill and they don't coach the coxswain along with the crew. So that's a, that's an interesting point that coaches need to be helping their coxswains be successful, you know, but then on the other side, some of those, some of those experiences, you got to let them sink or swim, yeah, but yeah, you exactly. got to set them, you got to give them the answers and sure. you know, like prep for the answer. And then it's test day, you know, like, okay, synchronize our watches. Let's rehearse. Let's rehearse getting to the line. You know, mm -hmm. you're in charge. So there, yeah. there is some definitely tough love. But I think there's a lot of times where are like, well, coach, didn't you see this scenario happening like 20 strokes ago? And couldn't you have like given some intervention? But I get it, coach. You're obsessed with, you know, six seats blade not being in. And you're like staring at it, staring at it. And then all of a sudden, that mysterious buoy that's been there forever pops right. up again you know right. like i it, it always happens but i think there needs to be more of like a mutual 
symbiotic relationship between the coach coxswain because it takes a lot of time. Like you're lucky if you get a coxswain consistently, it's going to take at least maybe three years until like they're the top dog, you know? Mm -hmm. But if, if you think about it in, do they really know how to maneuver their boat? Do they really know about boat fuel and technique? Do you trust that they're going to give the rowers the information that you guys have trained all season for those races? I mean, right. yeah, there could be a rookie coxswain who's motivational, but you don't want that kind of a coxswain. You don't want that kind of a rower who needs motivation Yeah, yeah, all the time. You're like, right. we're human. We're human. I mean, come on. I'm not saying motivation is terrible. Like, I love motivation, but you can't rely on it as like your thing that it needs to yeah. be like a what's at stake moment. And you're lucky. You're lucky at major races to maybe say one or two really game changing moments. Mm. And it's because you're reading the situation and you're telling them what's at stake. Yeah, you're or, working. Yeah. Or you've prepped or you've prepped boat meetings. Hey, this third 500, we have always failed this whole season. What are we going to do? And what are we going to do to recommit? And it's not just me as the coxswain inspiring the rower. It takes a lot of homework and it takes a lot of backstory to get that prodding. And then everyone has to buy in. But here's the secret to really good motivational calls. The rowers have to know how to respond in a unified way. Mm. Because if you're just saying like, go harder, go harder, and they're going harder, and they're just, they're using their muscles more, but is it actually, is that boat actually benefiting? Sure. And are sure. they actually combining their power together? Right, right. So that's why it has to be a smart delivery. And you've got to trust your rowers that they're going to use their legs. They're going to, you know, use their connection. They're going to really trust their blade. Like, yeah, well, they're going to grit it out. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. you're pulling something harder, but are you making the boat faster? Steady Sea Podcast is sponsored in part by Breakwater Realty Group. Daydreaming of new lakes, rivers, and coastlines to row and play on? Consider a home in Maine. The Breakwater Realty Group, brokered by eXp Realty, can help you find your home away from home or relocate to a new primary home with ease. Connect with the team by visiting breakwaterrealtygroup.com and scheduling an obligation-free buying consultation. Maine, it's the way life should be. On the last episode, we met Jennifer Huffman, master's rower and part of the Boys in the Boat legacy. We talked about rowing, racing, and seeing her grandpa, Joe Rance, come to life on the big screen. If you missed it or any of our episodes, listen at studystatenetwork.com slash podcast or on your favorite podcast app. In two, we're back with Mary Whipple. That's one, two. So to help our listeners get to know our guests, we put you through a lightning round of questions we call the hot seat. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. First question. Coxing an eight or bow load or four? Eight. Nine seat, baby, all the way. Uh, lake or river? Lake. Cox box or cox orb? Cox box. Sprint race or head race? Sprint race. <laughs> Favorite cox and command to give? Uh, command? Like, oh, good grief. Sorry, this is like, I'm like, this is a tricky one. <laughs> okay, okay, I, I have one. On. That's my favorite thing to say because everything's working. Everything is on. It's right and it's simple. So favorite phrase, on. 
favorite, <laughs> favorite course you coxed? Lucerne, Switzerland. It's gorgeous. Well, everyone it is the number one, <laughs> number one answer yeah. to that question. Well, it's natural. It's beautiful. The the transportation to and from is easy because it's city transport, and you got cowbells. I mean, it's- everybody talks about the cows. Yeah, and the funny little swimming hole, and people are like jumping and like cheering at the at the start. Kind of cool. Favorite race you've coxed. Oh, well, I have two specifically. The first one was 2008 Olympics when we won. And then the second one was 2012 when we won in that order. Was yeah. Anna in the 2008 boat? Anna Cummins was in 2008. She used to come to my Learn to Row class graduation day. I would invite her to my Learn to Row class, my master's Learn to Row. I'd be like, you guys, I have a special guest. And she'd bring her gold medal. <laughs> It yes. was so awesome. So yeah, fun. she's amazing. We started freshman year at UW together. So we've been friends forever. What's the best piece of Cox and advice you ever received? I think the best piece of advice, I didn't get much. Hence why I'm a coach now. But um, I think the best piece of advice that I received, or that I guess the best feedback kind of advice was in high school. And it was from an upperclassman who I was deathly afraid of because she was so intense or I thought she was so intense. But she said my sophomore year is my only my second year of doing this. And she was like, no, the way that you authentically react to a change, I already I I know if it's going to be good or not, you know. And so I was like, "Ooh, they're actually and she sat stroke a lot. So that stroke Cox and relationship of, of reading faces and reactions. And I was like, well, that excites you. Mm-hmm. So, and so I think that started my my whole idea of I got to tell them what I feel and when, and when it's good and how I can authentically do that. That's that's exciting to them and that's motivating to them. But in terms of advice, I always would like to not get advice. Mm-hmm. And so I always would in terms of I don't I, I always loved it, but I didn't I wasn't mad when I didn't receive it. So a lot of coxswains are like, oh, I never get coached. I'm like, well, that's kind of, you know, well, I didn't want to get coached because I wanted to be aware of what was going on and how I could contribute to efficiency. And so if I'm getting coached, that means I'm not being proactive enough in the process. So I I never mm-hmm. really minded being talked to because I'm mm-hmm. like, well, if I'm getting talked to, it means I'm not performing up to my uh, up to my potential. So I better figure right. it out. Right, right. This is so amazing to me, though. I'm sure that there were coaches who who gave you some tips and pointers, but to hear from someone who had has had such a, such a successful coxing career to basically say, "Well, I just wanted to figure it out on my own," that's like a little bit mind blowing to me because it's just like I've always assumed that we thrive off the coaching that that we're given. And you mentioned earlier about taking a few years to get to the point that maybe you'd be the the coxswain of the v1 and that you'd be able to be the motivator and you jumped pretty quickly from success in your high school cruise to a stint on the junior national team right and then into UW so I guess my question was like how, how could you describe your coxswain education and experience in those first few years that you were able to hit this trajectory logistics so the success of capital crew back when i was on the team we really weren't successful 
We never went to nationals, but here's the foundation I received from being a part of a big California club team. Their online novice team, I mean, way back in the day. So remember this, uh, there was like six novice eights, six women's novice eights. So it was a huge team. And I think Marcy was kind of suffering then. uh, So I think they only had two eights. I was, we were part of like a resurgence. So there was a lot of logistics. Mm -hmm. And funny enough, I was just talking to my sister yesterday and she ran into the boys varsity coach of our high school rowing team, Sam Schweitzer. And Sam Schweitzer now lives up in Washington um, and he's bounced around different boat clubs. But we were kind of talking like, man, the biggest thing we learned from Sam was we knew exactly what was expected of us. We knew where we needed to be how to line up, when to stop, when to go, when to start taking data, when we could participate. He was a huge proponent of Coxon's participating in land workouts. And since we were such a huge club and such a a poor club back in the day, we had land water days. And of course, Mm. you had to show up on land days to get your water days, you know. And Mm. so there was a lot of times where we were like, you know, the Coxons were playing rock, paper, scissors because we did not want to take the time. We did not want to like sit out and run the circuit. We wanted to, like, how could we fit in our workout? Because we knew we were going to gain the respect of the rowers by being a teammate who happened to sit in the coxswain seat. Mm. So that, I think that mindset of I am a teammate, I am an athlete who sits in this seat and this is my role and this is my expectation and it was very clear. We had we had coxswain meetings. Like basically everything I'm writing in the manual is coming from my high school days. And then it's enhanced from how organized the University of Washington was and is. And it's just what I think a lot of coaches and coxswains forget and rowers is you need a coxswain who is running an efficient practice with your coach. And if coxswains are a part of that process, they get it. They get that they need to be efficient. And if they're if they're with their coach making, I don't want to say making these decisions, but like waiting for the call, but like already knowing it's either A or B. Okay, we're going A this time. They are then the next phase is like they're going to feel things. They're going to be a part of the conversation and then they're going to know about technique. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to know about, okay, I'm not just going to tell them to go harder as a team, we're forming how we want to race, why we want to race. So the race plan is just not up to me as a coxswain yelling. We're actually their strategy and the rower knows exactly what's expected of them. And the coxswain is quality control. So then mm. race day is just fun because we know what to expect from each other. And right. then, yeah, if like, things are tripping up, it's because like, oh, I didn't, I didn't think the rowers or I was going to react this way of this pressure. So let's talk about it. And let's think about how we can change our our behaviors in practice so then on race day, we're not going to exhibit that kind of behavior when we are stressed or, you know, tired or, you know, all these all the above stresses physically right. and mentally. So long story longer in terms of my success as a coxswain, it was basically just being a part of the process. And it was like a huge foundation. Being on the junior national team, honestly, that was pure luck and what I say by pure luck and that's the hard part about being a coxswain you don't have an erg score I had a teammate who made the junior national team the year before and the coxswain aged out 
And so when Rachel, hi, Rachel, if you're listening, went and was talking to Barb Kirsch, because Barb Kirsch was the junior coach at the time, way back in 1998, she talked to Barb about me. That was it. And the reason why she talked about me is because I was on the women's team. My sister was on the men's team. So we could both have varsity eights. And she's like, and then she said, well, there's another one too. you know. And Rachel was like, well, Mary's my coxswain. I know her the most. Mm-hmm. And so I got invited to a, a winter camp. I performed well. And you know why? how I performed well? And I got my invite to selection camp that summer because I ran an efficient practice, mm-hmm. especially when Hartmut Buschbacher was a guest coach of that weekend. And I was just scared, scared beyond means. But I was just like, follow direction. Listen mm. to what he needs me to do, do it mm. and steer straight, you know, like just do, do the boat maneuverability, do the mechanics, you know, and then lo and behold, he, he yells at us during like a build. And I was like, oh no, what did I do? <laughs> and he, he was like, Coxon, why did I stop? I'm like, I don't know. Inside uh-huh. my voice, you know, like, I don't know why. But then I was like, think, think, think. And then I think I mumbled something like, because we didn't build efficiently. And it was like silent. I was like, oh, God, was that the right answer? <laughs> and then he was like, yes, yes, do it again. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, uh, so it's just those kind of boat feel, technique, logistics. I think that's the secret to my success. So you mentioned how organized uh, University of Washington systems are in, in their rowing program. And of course, Washington rowing is at the top of every headline right now. When you were there, did you feel like it was like you were just hitting your stride? Like that was just the place you needed to be. You were with the coaches that you wanted to work with. You were with the mentality and the discipline that you wanted to be around. Were you at that sort of mindset thinking when you were like, I'm on my way? 100%. I remember on my visit, I was late to the recruiting game. It was a whole different scene back then. It was April and I got to see a spring practice Mm. and it was the varsity JV freshman eight. And I think the three V there's four, eight, just doing two minute pieces. And I got to hear, got to hear the varsity coxswain. And that was like a huge aha moment of like, I need to be here because that's what I want. That's what I want to do. And you know what I was hearing? I was hearing information. It was just being accurate like we're gonna take 10 strokes we're gonna shift we're gonna hold this on I'm gonna give you information and it was like I saw four H just you know going at it and then I was thinking and, and no disrespect to the coxswain you know like her name was Missy she was she's good she was like varsity coxswain for two years but I was like I can do that mm-hmm. like that's simple like she's being so simple and but she has so much ownership and, and she's with them. And I'm like, that is what I want to be. That's what I want to do. So yeah, it was, it was easy. You've coxed for um, Sacramento, the junior national team, University of Washington and the women's national team. Do you have any kind of favorite coaches that you've worked with? Well, I mean, from the top down, I think I had more time with Tom Terhar. I think I literally had the most time in the launch with Tom Terhar mm-hmm. uh, because on the national, the national team, team. Yeah. Yes. With the national team, because the national team trains so often in small boats. So I think just being able to listen to him for 12 years 
and to ride side by side with him for that long, it was easy for me to plug in maybe one day a week in the eight and not skip a beat, you know, because I, I was a part of the process. I knew the expectation. I knew what the technique was. I knew what, where we were going as a, as a team and as, as a squad. But then, and then back, back, I think the second most influential, maybe even on par with Tom would be Jan Harville, my varsity coach at University of Washington. I spent a lot of winter with her on the launch because at that point, the University of Washington women did a lot of pair rowing in the, in the winter. And we did a lot of video review. So I knew exactly what she wanted from us as a squad. And then, of course, you never forget your freshman coach. And that was Eleanor McIlvain. She taught us to be tough. She taught us what it was to, you know, be a Husky. Um, it was uh, freshman year. You never forget your freshman year. So she was very, very influential. In fact, she was the one who taught me what to do in case of catching a crab. Because, of course, we had walk-ons and we were going to San Diego. And someone's like, wait, what if we do that in a race? And she was like, you shut it down, you pop it out and you do a start. And I was like, Pick, lock that in. And in yeah. 2003 at the World Championship at a pre-Olympic qualification year, what happened 750 in? We caught a crab. What? Needed, yes, on at the World Championships. And we needed to come top five out of six boats to qualify the boat for the Athens Olympics in 2004. Yeah. And so all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh. And what popped into my head? Eleanor McElvain. <laughs> and all of a sudden, because it was a starboard and it, it swung our boat kind of like to starboard. So I was just like, ports hold, ports hold, ports hold, you know? And then as soon as that oar popped out, I'll, I just, well, I didn't tell them to do a start, but I just said, go. And like the, you know, the rate jacked up and we did yeah. basically a start again without a fraction. But um, uh, then we, come, yeah. we came fifth. It was fine. And that's one of those things like you don't think is going to happen. But you should prepare. But you just plug it in. Yeah, you just yeah. plug it in your head. Um, and we had some problems leading up to that week anyway. So it kind of did creep into my head. Like, what if? You know, like I did think about it. But yeah. and then okay. how did I get the crew to redirect and refocus? Right, yeah. It was because our coach, Tom, wanted to break it down and said, stick to being simple. The first goal, make the final. Second goal, come top five because you have to qualify. Third goal, make the podium. Fourth goal, change the color. So I just, and then, so we, like, it was kind of like a mantra of just come top five, but, you know, yeah. obviously not. But, because uh, we were like, you know, tied for first. And when this happened, we're like, oh, we were defending world champions. We're like, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, um, so then all of a sudden, while we were like, you know, flying, you know, at a 40, I would just be like, we got to come top five. And I was counting, counting, counting. I'm like, we were sixth at the time. And so I was like, Number five is Belarus. Let's go get them. And then I just mm. gave them information on where Belarus was, where we were going, and and then when we were going to come top five. Like, because we had to salvage it, you know? Yeah. So yeah. We had to have that. a new mission. We had to have a new mission. We had mm -hmm. to have goals. So it takes a that. lot of prep. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of homework. It just takes about, like, who are you? What do you want to become? What's at stake? Mm -hmm. And then how is a coxswain? How can we keep that plan going and the plan a is out the window or down at the bottom of the lake you know how are we going to redirect and and stick to the goals i love any episode that has a, a big giant homage to eleanor McElvain. thank you very much eleanor was my coach with conabere for 10 years and i met eleanor a year after she left the university of washington 
she changed my life. She absolutely yeah. changed my life. And, and even as a grown, full grown adult who just needed everything in my power to stay in rowing and get back into rowing after years away from it. I owe her a great deal. And I'm so glad that you're in the Eleanor McLean fan club. Well, I mean, with the, all the success of, you know, the Jan Harville era, it was Eleanor feeding the pipeline and giving the foundation of what it is to survive Jan's, you know, program yeah. of, of yeah. quality. Mary, I'm glad that you just used the word pipeline because we actually had a couple of listener questions. And um, this one from Larissa was asking, what can we do to help coxswains stay in the sport as they age up? So that pipeline from juniors to college to whatever comes next for folks. How do you think we can keep people engaged as coxswains? Well, I think telling them that they matter to the organization, because I think a lot of coxswains, it's a, it's a weird position. You're an athlete, but yet half the time you're, quote, sitting down. Um, it, you've got a lot of intangibles that can't be measured. But I think by assigning value to the coxswain and giving them specific ways that they can help the efficiency of the program versus if they're in the boat, in the launch, whatever, whatever the hierarchy is, how can you give them moments to shine and how can you touch them in terms of highlighting their value to the team because I think if you are training rowers the value that the coxswains bring it's integral to have them as an organization you know that the coach is the CEO coxswains have got to be middle management and I'm sorry rowers but you know you're you have to be below that you're the muscle you're the power you're the you're the engine but another thing, you know, I learned from from Sam and Capital Crew at the time, it was that hierarchy. It was like coach, coxswain, rower, like, and they really needed with that amount of of rowers, you need you need them to to be participants. So I think including them, including them in certain discussions, because you know I, I am a firm believer of coach's boss, coach says, coach did, like you do. But there has to be moments of coxswain meetings. There has to be special times where you're telling them the whys so that they help disseminate and own the culture and cultivate the culture. Yeah, I think I, I like using the word staff that like coxswains are part of the staff. You know, they're not the CEOs or the boss, but they are part of the staff. You know, they're part of the personnel. And now when we talk about getting coxswains and needing coxswains here on Vashon Island. Um, it's that we have, we call it having personnel issues. We have personnel issues that we, we want someone who's dedicated and we want someone who's going to come on to our staff, if you will, um, mm -hmm. and work with the coach and create efficient, successful practices, you know? Yeah. I and that. I think why, yeah, I think why I liked it so much in high school and I didn't feel demoted is because we did have land and we did have water days. And so on mm -hmm. land days, I wanted to show that I was athletic. I, I just was short, you know? So I really tried my hardest because I wanted to prove to the rowers, if I tell you on the water, you got to go harder. I, I know that that's a hard ask, mm -hmm. but I'm going to show you and I'm going to be there through the hard times when I physically can and physically abled, if I am able-bodied and if I can do it. I know that there's different, different ways if you aren't able-bodied to, you know, sweat it out with your rowers, but there's, that dedication you can show of showing up, being present, being a part of that conversation, you know, that's why I stayed in for so long is because I felt that I was contributing and I was valued 
and my quality control or my decision making actually increased boat speed. My information I'm giving them increased boat speed. Mm. And so for me, that was entertaining. Plus, I had time where I could work out. And I think that's the problem with the transition from college to master's. You know, if master's coxswains are dedicating all that time with that craft, and then they're like, well, I got to work out too. It's like twice the amount of hours of an adult life that we all don't have. So it is tricky to ask, you know, those coxswains to show up, but there also has to be, they have to have some skin in the game. How did you do that on the master's level? I don't know. Hopefully it's because it's camaraderie, it's community. It's some, it's some kind of value. I think part of why we wanted to do this show is that our audience is primarily master's rowers and all the different ways that coxswains play into the success of a club and whether it's their personal contribution, their spiritual contribution, their physical contribution and how we give them back. You know, there's a lot of like logistical partnerships that happen, like coxswain gets a coffee card, you know, coxswain gets paid, coxswain gets, you know, and I think a lot of clubs struggle with this because everybody wants to have a dedicated competitive coxswain at my club in, in Seattle, Conabere. Two dedicated competitive coxswains. Absolutely. One, Jeannie from University of Washington, who literally has never lost. That's what she claims. She's never lost. And that was really special to have someone who was so dedicated and committed and then was was being compensated, you know, by being part of the community and being part of everything else. You and Lindsay Shoup actually did a like a virtual chat for DC Strokes Rowing Club. Um, oh, yeah. At the time. That was 21 was, or 2020. Yeah. Yeah, I think 2021. For her book. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And at that time, I was a coach for DC Stroke. So I sat in on that. And something else you said during that conversation is that um, there are always bad days. And sometimes you just have to leave it on the water and go for coffee. And I kind of loved hearing that. Like, yeah. not every day is going to be fantastic. It, it's behind you and, and move on and figure out what you got to do better the next day. Bad um, rowing days are the worst. It's just like festering in your brain. You know, for me, it's like static because the the rhythm's off, the ratio, like everything is just not like there's tension. So for me, there's just a lot of static in my brain and it's just annoying. But yeah, you got to just let it go. Yeah. And some and just agree like yeah, it's sometimes it's just we're exhausted, you know? It's it's not going to it's not going to happen. We're still good people. Just yeah. leave it leave it leave it alone. I learned to row in 2001, and it was a few years later that I was kind of called to Cox. I'm five two and a half, and my coaches were like, "Seriously, just you need to do this." And it took me a long time to like settle into that notion that this was something that I I wanted to do and that I valued it, and it was a value to the club. All these years later, I, I do Cox a whole lot. My crews know, though, that there are times I just don't want to say anything. And I was wondering if this ever happens to you. And and I'll be pretty clear about it. I'll call like a silent 10 because I'm like, you guys just handle it from here. Does that ever happen to you? I think I've evolved uh, from from high school to college. I definitely felt like more is, was more or more was better. But then I I quickly evolved to... When I went to the national team my first summer in 2001, uh, one of the rowers were like, you don't have to talk as much. And then my first reaction was like, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) All I have to do is just steer. Thank God. You know, Mm -hmm. because it's true. Like we were on the water for like 18K. Sometimes you just got to let the rowing speak for itself. And, but honestly though, I'm not checked out when I'm quiet. That's when I'm like, 
closing my eyes a couple strokes, you know, if I feel like it's safe. And then I'm also just listening and I'm feeling, listening the boat, listening for the, the wheels, listening for the blade entry, listening for the finish. I'm also, you know, feeling the acceleration. Like I, that's my moment to check into my body and what I'm feeling. So I love being quiet because you know why? The next thing you say after a couple strokes of silence, everybody is like, oh, welcome back. Not in a bad way, but like, oh, okay, that's the next thing. And then you just let it go. And fortunately, when things are going right, let it go right. Don't futz with it. Yeah. So and so a simple like, yeah, feel this. And that's Silence yeah. for like 10 strokes. So then all of a sudden, instead of being like, let's take a focus 10 for this. No, just like, yeah, feel this here. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they're all checked in. They are dialed. They are focused. You're with them. And I think that's what rowers value is space between asks space between information because if they they are feeling so much you know they're organ they're trying to be connected they're trying to be internal so just here and there you know of just touches here and there is so huge how would you describe the perfect stroke karen davies (laughs) <laughs> Davies. Awesome. What is yeah. perfect about Carmen yeah. Davies? Yeah, she was 2000, 2008, 2007. A close second is Leanne Nelson. She was the 2004. Oh, she um, means the actual stroke. Oh, the no, actual stroke. Oh, oh, no, we, we mean, we mean. <laughs> I know. The, I'm yeah. being facetious. I'm being funny. Um, Wait, who was the second one after Karen Davies? Leanne Nelson. She was the stroke of the 2004 Olympic eight. Just she never will give up and she has fire and she is just amazing. I think she taught a lot of of what Karn because Karn sat right behind her in 2004 and it was magic. But no, the perfect rowing stroke. I mean, how much time do we have? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Well, there's uh, de- there's there's definitely some camps. There are people who believe it doesn't exist. Right. And there are people who will say there's technically there's a stroke and there's poetically there's a stroke. And Jevy Stone said she didn't think she'd ever had one, which kind of surprised us. As a spectator, so to speak, you know, like Coxon's art guy, there's moments where you are spectating, but there are moments where you switch back into that role. I shouldn't say spectating because you are you're witnessing. I should say witnessing. I think there's definitely moments where the boat is at its like optimum rhythm and it's like humming. So in terms of moments of time, for me, I know we are on our way to having perfect strokes when there's a silence in my brain or it's almost, I don't want to say, I I don't want to plagiarize Pocock, but there's definitely like an orchestra. There's just like a ha like moment, like Mm -hmm. in my, in my head where everything is quiet and it makes sense. There's time between each stroke, even if you're like at a 36 or above. Everybody is present, everyone is intentional, and everyone is connected. To me, that's the perfect stroke. Mm-hmm. It's about connection, timing, rhythm, being in sync, mm. which is a long, a longer descrip- description of, I guess, the, the epitome of, quote, swing. There's a whole other debate about, you know, body motion. <laughs> yeah, because didn't you have in one of your boats, Susan Francia, in like three seat of one of your eights and 
she doesn't do uh layback i remember watching and, and everybody else was doing the 11 o'clock one o'clock you know and well, susan here's... and she's but I, I couldn't tell if that's what was really happening it just looked like she was just kind of coming straight back i, I don't know oh, how do i want to say this there are certain physical limitations to rowing careers this is why it's, it's it's interesting when i look at a crew and people start like well this is the style of so and so and so and so and i'm like well are they injured? Uh, how are their bodies? What is their interpretation of what they're actually asked to do? So mm -hmm. in terms of putting labels on and making huge references to like, oh, the Canadians always lay back in the 2000 era or, you know, well, yeah, they physically did. So you're like, okay, cool. But then if you hear, you know, reports of, of Spracklin or whatever, he's like, I never asked them to do that. I just told them to get longer and I told them to move the boat more. It was their mm -hmm. interpretation. So for me, having different stylistics, especially working with Tom Terhart, there was definitely training blocks where he literally removed our layback, where he literally like had us go legs vertical, legs vertical, legs vertical. Rowers want to lay back. Rowers want to use their bodies. Rower, like that's the easy part. But training all of their, like all their legs, their hip flexors, their glutes, their core, all the stabilizing muscles those need to be trained to use. And then he would always add our layback at the very end. He's like, okay, mm -hmm. guys, the governor's off, go for it. He that didn't tell sense. us, he didn't tell us, I need you to be like 45 degrees. This is a, a, the perfect position. I want you to feel connected on your blade. And I want you to send the bejesus out of this boat. Okay, yeah. And if you're yeah. strong enough, if you're strong enough, if you're not going to, let the acceleration come down and smush the boat, but you're actually sending the boat and you are strong enough to change direction with the boat, technique will figure itself out. But if you're mm -hmm. teaching to being efficient, direct suspension, efficiency, collaboration of efficiency with all your team members, that's why I'm like, I don't know what, I, I spoke to the feeling of what a perfect stroke is, sure. not the cosmetic, you know, right. the look of it. Yeah, because people talk about the University of Washington style. They talk about the Frank Cunningham style. They talk about, you know, there's a lot of different styles. And I just thought, well, they don't all have to look the same. I've just seen, you know, coming down Montlake Cut, they somehow found, you know, eight, six foot six guys who all have the exact same like shoulder measurement and they all come by, you know, and it looks <laughs> stunning. You know, we all talk about when when I teach Learn to Row, the first day we ask why rowing, why now? And they all say, well, it looks so graceful and beautiful. You know, and we're like, well, the, the more graceful it looks, the harder they're working. Right. Then we love asking that question because everybody's yeah. got such unique answers. I'll say one last thing about the perfect stroke. And I think like what you just said about the University of Washington's men and all that, I think if you as a coach work on connection and how the boat reacts to the power and the connection of the application of power, usually body mechanics works itself out. If mm. everyone's attuned to when to put the power on and when to let it go in a nutshell, like that's the simplest of, like, of terms of, of how to coordinate people's elbow you know all that stuff like, yeah, yeah there might be stylists but what are we trying to do we're trying to get the rower to be in a very comfortable position to put all their power on the blade and move that boat mm -hmm. so i think when we get caught up with how it should look i think we're forgetting the possibility and the and the potential of how it should feel and how fast it can go the process brilliant, brilliant.
we really wanted to have this conversation with you because like we talked about earlier, we just don't feel like there's enough leadership at the coaching the coxswains level. And so you're kind of the go-to. I'm trying yeah. to change it. I'm trying yeah. to put motivation at the bottom. And I'm trying right. to put <laughs> logistics, number one, logistics, logistics, boat field, technique, like it's a process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then all that will come. And then the motivation is just natural. Everyone knows how to like, you know, be a teammate, but what? how do you give them the information? I just feel like we're, we're really in an interesting time where we've never really taken this coaching the coxswain as seriously as we are now. And you've been this successful outlier, if you will, having ninth seat as a company and to be uh, included in what seems like now a whole catalog of coaching curriculum. I'm very passionate about every time I've been coaching coxswains, I, I say thank you coaches for letting me have this career. But you, coach, are the biggest piece of the puzzle about how to make a successful coxswain. It is your mentorship. It is just another task. Um, unfortunately, you must do as a coach. You must take time to communicate what you need from your coxswain and be very, very clear about their expectations. Mm -hmm. And you have to be consistent as a coach. And so through all my coxswain clinics, I always reach out to the coaches being like, hey, you can come for free if you like, if you send me coxswains. Hardly any coaches come. And it kind of breaks my heart a little bit because I'm like, you're the, like, I can talk so much to your coxswain, but it's the relationship that needs to be formed. And you, the coach, are the boss. You're the leader. It's a trickle-down effect. So mm -hmm. this whole idea of the athlete course and the co coach course, I hope, I hope, I hope coaches will, will take it and their coxswains will take it. And then there'll be some shared language and a foundation to make it their own. I think there's a room to really change the mindset of coaches who maybe haven't done this before. You know, in the past, I remember very clearly working with a coach who had been a collegiate rower. He was 6'5". He's like, I've never coxed. I'm not interested in coxing. Therefore, I won't coach the coxswains. I was like, this does not work for me. So I'm really excited to see that U.S. Rowing is offering this course, both for coxswains and coaches. I'm curious to see how it all gets implemented in the, in the next year and moving forward. Me too. Obviously, I'm going to try to make it perfect, but nobody's perfect. So feedback, I can't wait for the feedback and how we can do edits and really, you know, increase the value of, you know, like I'm in my bubble. I think this is the most important thing, but if I'm missing a big but, uh, you know, I, I love feedback. I love evolving. I love being curious about how can we better communicate. So I can't wait for people to take it and they offer their constructive criticism so we can go back in and fix and tweak. Thank you so much, Mary. This has been really fun. Awesome. This is awesome, guys. Okay. <laughs> All right. Bye. Thanks, Mary. We'll talk with you soon. Okay, bye. Bye. To see photos of Mary and get links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. Thanks to our patrons, whose support helps make this podcast possible. Join our team for as little as $5 per month at SteadyStateNetwork.com slash Patreon. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Rosource, providing creative design services for clubs, organizations, and regattas. Get the design help you need at rowsource.com. Hey, Tara, I think some listeners might not know that Steady State is more than a podcast. Totally. <laughs>
absolutely. <laughs> so you, took, you, you took me by surprise. I was like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we should definitely tell them about Friday mornings when we get together for coffee chat. We talk about rowing, racing, technique, and then we deep dive into topics like inclusion and leadership. So we hope folks will join us Friday mornings at 8 a.m. West, 11 East on Instagram live. Grab your favorite mug and be a part of the conversation. And sometimes we all need buddies to help us get through long workouts on the ergs. So we lead Steady State Sundays once a month at 6.45 a.m. West, 9.45 a.m. East. Join us on the third Sunday of the month until March. When folks sign up for this free 60-minute virtual ERG workout, we provide cues and insights to keep them motivated along the way. Register at SteadyStateNetwork.com slash Sunday. This episode was written, produced, hosted, and edited by me, Tara Morgan. And me, Rachel Friedman. Tara provides additional audio engineering and is our sponsor coordinator. And Rachel, oh, Rachel <laughs> manages our, sorry. sorry. Rachel, I'm like, I, my head is like filling up with snot. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel manages our website, social media, and e-newsletter. Our theme music is by Jonas Hipper. Between us, we have nearly 40 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experience. Tara is based on Vashon Island, Washington. She founded Seize the Oar Foundation in 2013. She's fanatic about coaching Learn to Row and believes the pair is the best boat. Rachel is a longtime rower, coach, and coxswain in Washington, D.C. She's the owner of Row Source and is a tiny bit squeamish about sculling. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Steady State Network, Seize the Oar, and Row Source. Into Wayna. That's one, two. Oh, but how casual do you want me to do it? Do you oh, no, I want you to be fierce. I want you to be fierce. Yes. Fierce. <laughs> this is like, you know, if I had a nickel for every time I said this. Yeah. <laughs> Into Wayna. That's one. Rachel is a longtime rower, coach, and coxswain in Washington, D.C. She's the owner of Row Source and is a 20 bit. <laughs> I love when you do that. 20. <laughs> <laughs> Who says it that way? <clears throat> Toidy. <laughs> <laughs>